Hello, and welcome to this edition of EMS Now Up Close. I am Eric Miskell with EMS Now, and today I get to speak with uh, David Loftus, the president and CEO of ECIA, as you can see there uh, above his head, the Electronic Component Industry Association. Uh, David, I've been looking forward to talking to you. We've picked an interesting topic, uh, which we'll get into in a moment. Um, but before we do that, you have a you kind of have a rich industry history. So why don't you explain, introduce yourself, your background, and what your current role is with the ECIA? Sure. Thanks, Eric. Pleasure to be here today. Uh, I started out in this industry uh, as an engineer. I was a design engineer for a number of years and was intrigued by semiconductors and got over into the semiconductor side of the business in the early 90s, first as a field apps engineer, and then uh, grew my way through the uh, through the sales ranks and took a tour of duty in Asia, running Asia Pacific for Silinx, um, came back, ran a couple uh, to Silicon Valley, ran a couple of uh, product lines for uh, the company, was uh, vice president, general manager, running a, a big P&L and R&D teams and so forth. And then I got back onto the sales and marketing side for about the last 10 years of my career and ran worldwide sales and marketing for three different uh, semiconductor companies. So um, I retired from Silicon Valley at the end of 2019. And uh, right as the pandemic hit, uh, somebody talked me into taking the reins at ECIA. And I uh, really love this role. It's I call it my retirement hobby. Uh, it's a wonderful way for me to be able to stay in touch with a business that I love and to be able to give back to a business that has been very, very good to me for well over three decades. So, you know, ECIA is focused on uh, a number of things. Number one, it's about trying to uh, pull together hundreds of companies in the electronic component supply chain, manufacturers, distributors, independent manufacturers, rep firms, to be able to collaborate on best practices, to be able to address issues that affect the industry, including the topic that we're going to be talking about today, and uh, to really try to help the industry be more efficient and effective. Uh, we also sponsor a number of uh, uh, trade shows and events. We manage uh, a lot of standards for the industry. Uh, we also do a lot of regional market research around supply and demand, lead times. And uh, we also run an authorized distribution website for uh, uh, EMS and other uh, cu customers of the electronic supply chain to be able to buy be assured that they're buying only fully authorized um, and fully genuine product. Uh, there's a lot of inventory websites out there today, and uh, we are the only one that is founded by authorized distributors for authorized manufacturers to be able to provide that single source of of availability and pricing for truly um, fully genuine product in the industry. And that's the, the trusted parts website. 
That's trustedparts.com. Yes. Thanks. Exactly. Good. Well, listen, as you've alluded to, and I did at the initial, the tease here about what we're going to talk about today, and that is the uh, the NCNR. And this is a term that's been a major point of contention, it seems like, in our industry of late. Uh, and, and I think to a degree it's misunderstood. And so I wanted to to, to speak to you about that uh, and, and what it really means and, and maybe get your your views and some advice for, for companies who are who are struggling with this. So maybe begin with maybe explaining NCNR from the perspective of the manufacturer and the distributors. Okay, great. Well, uh, everyone knows NCNR, non-cancelable, non-returnable, and I agree that it's a uh, it's been a frustration, especially here in the last couple of years, and a source of misunderstanding, I think, between uh, manufacturers, distributors, and customers. And I'll say, you know, I spent most of my semiconductor career on the sales and marketing side, and I was the guy usually on the front lines uh, taking the incoming fire from customers when they're frustrated with NCNR. So, you know, this is one that uh, I, I think that there's, again, a lot of misunderstanding that I hope to be able to share a little bit of insight. You know, uh, I start off by saying most manufacturers and distributors don't implement NCNR on everything that they do in normal times on mainstream product when, when supply and demand are in reasonable balance. Um, in say uh, normal times when we're not when the when the industry is not capacity constrained, there are some situations where NCNR is warranted. Um, it's usually when there is custom product, semi-custom product, very old product, especially if it's uh, been obsoleted uh, by by a manufacturer, something that's really slow moving. And the reason there is ar around the fact that manufacturers have to build a minimum order quantity, whether they're running it through their own fabs, whether they're running it through TSMC, UMC, or uh, one of the other many foundries out there, they're usually having to run 25 wafers in a lot. And that lot had, then has to be tested, diced, packaged, uh, inventoried, and then potentially shipped on, hopefully shipped on to an end customer. And when something's a slow moving product, uh, manufacturers really need to be able to put NCNR terms in place to be able to make sure that they're going to be able to ship the bulk of that product that has been manufactured. Um, there's actually a benefit in that to the end customer. If a manufacturer does not know they are going to be able to ship through all of that quantity, they're going to have to price it in a way that expects some kind of waste or, um, uh, or, or product that is unsold. And so putting NCNR terms in place with a customer helps um, really the, the demonstrate that that customer is serious about taking that product eventually from the manufacturer. It doesn't all have to be at once. A lot of times it can be scheduled over many months or even many years, uh, but that NCNR and the, uh, and, the, and the schedule that it puts in place gives that manufacturer 
the uh, assurance that they know that they can ship it through. They may have to sit on the product for a while until they eventually ship it to a customer. But at the same time, they don't have to build in an adder for the amount of product that would be wasted if that NCNR order were not in place. Okay. So, you know, those those cases are are really a minority, a, a, a very small percentage, uh, especially for the companies that I work for in my career, a very small percentage in normal um, business cycles where you have reasonable uh, balance between supply and demand and uh, normal terms are prevailing. Uh, you know, the, the again, manufacturers want and distributors want to be able to provide the flexibility for customers. They want to normally provide 30-day uh, cancellation window. Uh, they want to provide flexibility for, uh, for, for, for push-outs and reschedules to be able to accommodate their customers' fluctuations. They don't um, necessarily want to force a customer to adhere to the original uh, order line items verbatim. They, they, they want to be able to have that flexibility to be able to show and demonstrate the, uh, the, their, the, the customer service that they can provide. At the same time, you know, these NCNR um, terms are put in place just to for, for for really an element of assurance, and so I'll turn here for a second, just uh, uh, to to address what's happened here in the last couple of years. So, actually, can I ask for a clarification on something too? So, sure. is the NCNR term is one that only the manufacturer specifies, not the distributor, or can a distributor specify it? No, it, the, the distributor can specify it. And I'll tell you that it's actually not just a, an electronic components manufacturer that specifies it. A very important point to, for customers to understand is that NCNR terms many times get placed upon the electronic components manufacturer by upstream suppliers. And so a lot of that is getting pushed downhill to be able to ensure that uh, that 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 uh, those terms are consistent throughout the supply chain. So TSMC, as most people know, uh, the largest uh, semiconductor foundry in the world, is uh, what was very much capacity constrained during the um, pandemic. And they have been a few times in their uh, their their history, as was Samsung, as was UMC, as was Fujitsu, as was you know many of the foundries. And those foundries, similar situation to the manufacturers, if they want to ensure that the orders that they're being taken are that they're taking are actually going to get shipped to those customers, and they're not going to waste that really valuable manufacturing capacity. They put NCNR terms in place with uh, semiconductor OEMs, and in fact, it, it it can be more than just on a single order. A lot of times, when um, when uh, foundries get constrained, they put in place even more onerous terms on the semiconductor manufacturers that are called take or pay, meaning that. Um, you have to book 
a certain amount of capacity, sometimes a year to 18 months out in advance and with 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 a, a inability to be able to reschedule and if you don't take that product you pay for that product that's so so it's a it, it's a huge capital uh commitment mm -hmm. up front that is actually a liability on the balance sheet um so in in certain terms uh those those NCNR terms from upstream suppliers get passed along. And so distributors are part of that supply chain. If a manufacturer is facing NCNR from upstream suppliers, they're usually going to pass some of that along to end customers and to their distributors. And then the distributors are likewise forced to be able to pass that along to um to the end customer. The end customer. And of those, let me just dig in a little more too, because this is interesting. We're talking about at the semiconductor level. So when we're talking about NCNR, is that mostly applied to A items, the active items for the other things, you know, because distributors, of course, handle a whole slew of things, not, you know, A, Bs and Cs to be very generic here. Um, is this mostly a term that's applied to, to, the, to the A items then? It's applied well. Let, let let's go back. I, what I said before was that in in normal business conditions, when we've got balance between supply and demand, it's usually like C level items and 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 beyond that. There's NCNR. It's really stuff that is um, that that that's more on the obscure side of the product portfolio, or or very custom and could be very high volume. But it's 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 usually for one or just a couple of of customers that have the bulk of 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 the um, the buys on those products. When when we get to a supply constrained situation, then absolutely it moves into the A list items because they represent a huge bulk of the volume and. That volume, if it's if if you are limited in your capability to produce product, you want to make sure that you're doing the best job serving the needs of as many customers as possible. And putting NCNR terms in place for a certain set of customers or a certain set of products means that they know that they're going to be able to deliver that product to those customers, but it also means that they're also uh, going to be able to service a broader set of customers as well, especially in those A-list items. You know, when you have a tier one customer, uh, a, a, a very big, you know, systems OEM and Apple uh Samsung, uh, you know, Huawei, somebody that's taken a lot of volume from you, you want to be very clear with them what capacity you have, what delivery commitments you want to, that, 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 that you can uh, stick to. And you want to then understand exactly how much capacity you have left for your B and C level items to be able to service on the broader market. Okay. And you know, on the custom pot, what percentage generally 
is is considered custom in this? Is this uh, 10, 15 percent? Is it what it's is a, con- that's, a, that's a great question, and it varies wildly by manufacturer. Mm. If you take a broadline analog company like an analog devices or TI, um, they ship a, a, a very, very broad portfolio and they don't tend to do that much custom product for a specific customer. Um, now, there are certain uh, cases, uh, there, there are manufacturers that do audio chips for handsets. And the, there's, there's one audio chip company who more than half of their business is with one uh, company that starts with the letter A in Cupertino, California, and the the vast majority of that product port, of their product portfolio and their shipments is custom. So if you you know the extremes are you know in some cases it can be on a very broad line, um, a supplier like again like a TI or an ADI, it could be it, it's it's probably down in single digits. What is custom or semi custom product? In some cases that are uh, that are, are are delivering the vast majority of their product to very high volume verticals and specific ASSPs, application specific standard products, though then a then a, a a very high percentage of their product can be considered custom or semi-custom and will likely have much tighter uh, terms and conditions associated with those orders. And so when a, a distributor receives the product from the manufacturer, if the manufacturer has not handed down NCNR terms with that product, does the distributor have the discretion to apply it or not? They do. Typically, a distributor is going to try to provide even more flexibility than a manufacturer's terms and conditions. That's um, why they're in business. That's why customers buy from them. That's why manufacturers employ them. You Distributors are, are a inventory pool that can be shared amongst many customers and they want to be able to provide that flexibility to be able to demonstrate their value in the supply chain. There are probably some very limited instances where a distributor might choose to be able to implement NCNR terms when a manufacturer has not um, implemented those on, on the buy to them. And that's usually in a case where they have say bought a, a significant um, amount of product from a, a manufacturer, especially in the cases of ENO, excess and obsolete situations where the where, where the distributor then is sitting on a much larger pool of inventory that uh, they want assurance that that is going to move. They may decide that they want to put NCNR terms and especially uh, cases where it is an ENO distributor like a Rochester or a, maybe even a flip electronics where you know they're they're dealing in a uh, in a product that has a limited number of homes and a limited life cycle and a limited amount of product that is left to be shipped and they may be trying to service multiple customers with that limited amount of product that's left. 
and uh, and and they may put NCNR terms in place. But by and large, distributors uh, do provide more flexibility than the manufacturer. Their T's and C's, their 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 minimum order quantities are are going to be much more flexible than a manufacturer because it serves the needs of both the the distributor's customer and the needs of the manufacturer to be able to provide that extra level of service. Yeah. Um, you just mentioned the T's and C's there. Is there, clearly they're not all the same, right? So can you, you're smiling. So what is some, uh, maybe compare and contrast some of, of what the industry has there? Sure. So um, it, again, it, it, it really comes back to how custom the product is, uh, what, um, how, I guess aggressive a manufacturer wants to be in uh, pursuing a customer, uh, how um, aggressive that customer is and how much leverage that customer has from the buying side. Um, typically a, um, you know, an A-list customer, a, a, a tier one customer that is doing very high volume direct with a manufacturer, there is usually a contract with some level of of customized terms and conditions that are agreed on between buyer and seller and that can have anything to do with 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 pricing to delivery commitments uh, those delivery commitments can have delivery late delivery penalties they can have uh, upside commitments and buffer stock and things like that um, it can and, and and they even include, Usually, uh, a a force majeure clause, which became uh, quite the issue with the pandemic. So, only a couple of times in my career has a force majeure clause been invoked. Uh, but uh, as you probably know, in late 2020, when we're a capacity constrained industry, when there's very uncertain economic conditions, uh, a lot of these contracts that were written between manufacturers and and customers um the the manufacturers chose to invoke that force majeure clause because certainly the pandemic was something that was beyond all parties controls uh it affected the supply chain dramatically everything from raw materials to uh to logistics and uh, in those cases, uh, most most um, manufacturers and supply chain partners decided to invoke those force majeure clause to be able to provide some relief from, in some cases, very tight T's and C's on that contractual relationship. Mm -hmm.